Thanks for joining us today for TED Speaks with your host, Ted Carew, the Positive Safety Coach. As co-host and Ted's wife, I have the added task of keeping Ted in line and laughing at his jokes, which isn't always easy. My name is Barb Carew. We are coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Brewers, Miller Beer, and the Fonz. How could it get any better than that? Our podcast focuses on sharing ideas with business owners and safety professionals to keep employees safe and families together. Our passion for keeping people safe is the reason Total Health and Safety Solutions was created. This is how Ted is able to share his 25 years of safety experience by supporting companies around the globe in their efforts to strengthen their health and safety process. Please join us in welcoming Ivan Papalidi. Ivan applies his experience and research to operations in complex systems and high-risk environments such as wildland firefighting, aviation, military, and medicine. As a U.S. Forest Service Director, Ivan developed and implemented the Learning Review, which is a process designed to improve how large and small organizations respond to accidents and incidents. The Learning Review is centered on understanding and mapping systemic conditions that influence human action. Ivan's ability to integrate academic research with real-world application comes from his varied life experiences, which have included work as a mine geologist, exploration geophysicist, and a U.S. Coast Guard pilot for rescue and law enforcement missions. Ivan served in the U.S. Air Guard and Air Force Reserves, where he flew the C-130 Hercules, including missions as a modular airborne firefighting system tanker pilot on wildland fires. He also served on active military operations for combat and humanitarian support in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Central Africa. He now brings his academic credentials and real-world experiences to the University of Alabama as an adjunct professor in the Advanced Safety Engineering Management Master's Degree Program at UAB. Hey, uh, Ivan, how are you doing today? Doing really well. How are you? I am great. We are very excited to have you on on our podcast today. And I think your background is so impressive. I mean, um, it's almost a book. I mean, it's really <laughs> that impressive and stuff like that. Can you kind of give our listeners a little bit of background about you? Sure, absolutely. I don't know how far back you want me to go, but uh, it almost always starts with it was a dark and stormy night. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I started out essentially in my aviation career in the Coast Guard, where I flew for 10 years active duty, and then followed that with a career in the Forest Service, where I flew for 24 years and ended up actually becoming a director of the Office of Innovation and Organizational Learning, which was a an office that I actually created. And to my knowledge, it's the first fully uh, remote office in the government that occurred at that time. It was the very first, and it was way before COVID. And if you think about that title, Innovation and Organizational Learning, it's just a beautiful title. So in my capacity in the Forest Service, I saw a lot of different things. One thing that I saw was a lot of fatalities. And I moved into a position where I was given the opportunity to do investigations. And these were true investigations using the Serious Accident Investigation Guide. This had some problems with it. I mean, some basic problems with the guide itself, wherein they said the causes of most accidents are a failure to follow rules, regulations, policies, and procedures. Well, I know that's not completely true. I mean, I'm a pilot. I like rules. Rules are important, right? But I also know that you can't follow every rule, regulation, policy, and procedure and get a mission done. So we have to know how to adapt those rules to fit situations. And that's built into almost everything in aviation, including the federal aviation regulations, which say, you know, unless follow these rules, unless greater emergency exists. 
So with that in mind, we have to start thinking about what the position is that our workers are in. Well, we weren't thinking about that. We were blaming our workers for their own demise in many cases and handing a flag and an accident investigation that just basically said their husband or wife was stupid. (laughs) And I, I couldn't stand it. I hated it. So I walked into an accident investigation in Northern California and threw the guide away and just winged it in the hope that it would be accepted by the organization. And it was. It really was. It was phenomenal. I mean, there's a lot of things that go behind that, preparing mm-hmm. for that, trying to have those discussions. But it propelled me into a spotlight position, which seems to be the thing that happened in my career all the time. Something happened, propelled me into a spotlight, and I got a good break out of it. Right, And so I leveraged it into a very good deal. And that good deal was innovation and organizational learning. And the first job they gave me in the Forest Service was, I want you to create a safety culture. Well, I can tell you right now, we have many safety cultures. And that was my initial response. And I had to do some research to try and figure it out. So I basically did a survey of the Forest Service to ask, what is the meaning of safety? And with all the respondents that I had across the system, none of them agreed. And I said, well, how can we have a safety culture if we can't agree on a definition of safety? How about learning? Let's try that. Right. So we dropped back to learning. We said, let's propel a learning culture with it in mind that that's going to result in a safer culture in the organization. And that resonated with just about everybody in the organization. There were a few holdouts. There's always a few holdouts. Those challenges, those opportunities we like, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the whole time I got to validate these ideas, right? So I validated the idea in the Forest Service, but I also was in the Air Force Reserves. And I don't know if your viewers can see the airplane over my shoulder, but I flew the C-130 for the Air Force Reserves and went into combat with that aircraft, flew that aircraft to its absolute limits and learned in that moment that the 175 pounds of publications required to fly that airplane in the Air Force, they kind of all threw them away when we went to combat, right? Go to combat and get the job done, right? That was the thing. And I realized in that moment that these rules, regulations, policies, and procedures that we create often just create paper safety. And so that set me on another trajectory. Are we doing that in the Forest Service? Do we have an accident and write a new rule? And I found that that was pretty much the case. So part of the learning review that I developed for the Forest Service was to try and turn that upside down. Let's start looking at things as learning opportunities and developing learning products for the different levels of the organization. And I mean all the different levels, a learning product for leadership, a learning product for middle leadership, a learning product for frontline personnel, and not teaching them what to do and what not to do, but giving them tools that they can use to begin to question the environment that they work in, to ask the question that Sidney Decker loves to ask, is that so? So is that a good enough introduction? That is. Reading about you and your background and such, I was interested how you got into safety because you've done so many things. So that is a good story and it's led you to do a lot of good things. That kind of answers that, but I know we had another question geared a little more specific. Yeah. So did you get involved in HOP or the human and organization performance? I think that that is something that a lot of our safety professionals want to learn more about because it's kind of what you were just talking about. It's so easy to point fingers, right? right? And I think as you were bringing that example, the new movie, Top Gun, the new one, when Maverick takes the flying manual of the ah. and throws it right in the garbage yeah. and how the leadership reacted, right? But yet he knew because he'd been doing that kind of thing. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about HOP? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. And in fact, the way I got involved with HOP was through Lund University. I was studying under Sidney Decker and Sidney says, you've got to meet this guy at Los Alamos National Laboratory named Todd Conklin. 
I said, all right, sure. I'm, I'm a pretty shy guy. So I immediately pick up the phone and call Todd on the phone. <laughs> and Todd responds and says, well, come on down and visit with me. Come watch me do this HPI is what we called it at the time. And so I did. I went down there and I fell absolutely in love with this program. And Todd started having me teach parts of it to the folks there at Los Alamos National Laboratory. And we developed this relationship. This was about 2006. So this is before HOP. So what happens? What happens is Todd says, steal it. He says, I'll give it all to you, steal it. And so I said, well, you know, if you give it to me, is that stealing? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That sounds good to the lawyers, right? Good point, yeah. (laughs) Because actually it'd be more fun to steal it, but all right, let's do it the way you recommend. So go ahead and take it from him. And we adapted what was HPI for the Forest Service, and we called it HOPI at the time. And that was kind of an interesting story, too, just around the naming of it. But we brought it to the Forest Service, and two of us ended up teaching the Forest Service version to 30,000 people in the Forest Service. Now, I say teaching. What I mean is engaging in dialogues, because HOP is a series of dialogues. It's not like transactional teaching. So, that's how I got involved with it. I stayed involved. And in fact, I live six miles from Todd. I ride bikes with him all the time here in Santa Fe. And the bottom line on this is that I saw the value of this approach. In fact, I saw the value of this approach to such a degree that I created a new course that we're going to be offering in the fall on the research background of HOP. And in fact, I'm writing a book on that right now. It's almost done. So we'll see the background of HOP in terms of the theory and practice. You'll have to give us an update so we can share that with our listeners yeah, too. That when, when that does come out, please. Oh, absolutely. Be happy to. In fact, when we get off the phone, that's what I'm going to work on is the book. I was working on it yesterday and I'll work on it again today and we'll get it done because I need it for the class in the fall, right? Because this new class in HOP is going to be available for our program, which is University of Alabama's Advanced Engineering safety management program. And it's a great program. And we now are developing what we call a human performance track in that program. And that will have five courses, including one that I do that's essentially on the learning review called the Learning Based Approach to Accidents and Incidents. A course on language that my wife teaches, because you guys need to get her on this podcast too. Oh, very cool. Yeah, she's she's absolutely Brilliant. Well, you know, you know, when you get your wife involved in these podcasts, it's a whole different thing. Man. <laughs> yeah, I can see how that doesn't work for you guys. Hush, right? hush. <laughs> Let's not make this personal, please. <laughs> oh, you guys seem to get along great. She's also starting a new course in the fall called Semiotics, which is a great thing for you guys to look into as well. This idea of semiotics and the messages that we send through symbology, really, really important. And she has her students not doing Gemba walks and all these other kinds of walks that people do, but doing semiotic walks. Walk around your facility and say, are the things that we have in our facility, the symbols and signs, do they align with our philosophy and our principles? And it's a great thing. Our students are coming up with really, really wonderful ideas. Uh, So let's see, I got those courses. And then I also do 619, which is the preparation for the capstone, where I teach social psychology to engineers. Now you want to talk about a mind bender. Engineers in a social psychology course. My second question that I ask them, and you guys can figure out what the first one is. My second question is, why am I teaching you guys social psychology? And the answer after the first class is almost unilateral because we really need this in order to communicate with our people. And that's really the bottom line. So those are some of the courses that line up to create this new certificate that we have in human performance. 
uh, have my background in it. I guess I covered that pretty well. And I still stay active with Todd and others in the HRP forum and try and make sure that the message gets out there, that these dialogues are important to have at multiple levels of the organization so that we can begin to move leaders and followers to a place where they're asking questions. Because if they're in a mode of inquiry, they're learning. If they're not in a mode of inquiry, they're not learning. I like how you talk a lot about teaching and educating, not just placing blame, but I feel like a lot of times, let's just say in safety, Ted, I know, talks a lot about you can't just go say do this because you have to educate, you have to give the reason why, you have to teach, you have to take the time up front to do all of that to really have it have an impact or a meaning. And I think everything you're saying plays a part of that. I mean, you could go into so many different facets, but just that overview of the hop and what you kind of have looking forward, I think that gives a lot of good information to our listeners for sure. Yeah. Yeah, like health and safety professionals, we have a responsibility to answer a very fundamental question. And that is, why did it make sense for the workers to do what they did? Right, exactly. If we go from that perspective, the whole suite of questions that follows is very different. Right. If we go from the perspective where we, you know, we think it's the disposition of the individual, oh, that person was stupid or complacent or negligent. First of all, those aren't safety terms. Those are legal terms, except for stupid. Well, maybe stupid's a legal term. We'll have to think about that. <laughs> maybe it should be. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but as we start to look into this with some vigor and some real reflection, what we understand is that asking that question, why did it make sense for the worker? And assuming that it did make sense for the worker to do what they did puts us in a very different frame, right? And it also opens the door to learning because what we then do is we move from dispositional attribution, the disposition of the individual to situational attribution. And we start looking at the situation that the worker's in. That's the system. The worker is in the system and part of the system, but that's not the system. The error itself becomes uninteresting. The reason that the worker did what they did and how that became an error, that becomes interesting. I think I was watching a TED Talks that you did about human error, and I think you said something, it was about placing blame, and you said something like, that doesn't trap error, it traps the people. I think that little line says a lot. It really does. You know, and I'm sure you find that on a daily basis, and it hit with me. It's simple, it leaves you with something that makes you think a little bit, but would you say that's just something that's just really important moving through all these processes? Absolutely. The realization that trapping people does not move learning forward is kind of the important thing. Todd says it a different way. He says, you can blame or you can punish or you can learn, but you can't do both. Right. And so I completely agree with him on that. I think that that's a great quote. I also say this, this is my favorite quote of me. If I can quote myself, you can, you can. <laughs> the currency of safety is information. And so anything that we do that degrades our flow of information hurts our safety program. And if we blame somebody, if we set ourselves up as an organization to blame, then we are immediately going to cut off our source of information because people aren't going to talk with us. Correct. And we see this over and over again, right? I think you bring up a really good point. I know um, one of my first jobs in safety, I, I brought that similar philosophy and it was a change for the company because they're like, well, who are we going to blame for this? I said, well, 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 we're not going to find out anything, nor will we find out about the next one, right? I mean, and that's just a snowball effect. And it just can change so much. So what you are saying, man, I agree 100% with you because 
humans are going to err. That's been proven, even in aviation, for an example. Aviation has done such a great job with looking at human error and doing all the different things and having some of the safest airline records there are, right? But there are still that human error and the way that they've gone through that. So I really like that, the hop. I think it's a great concept for people that are listening to really probably understand more of because it works. It really, truly does. It does. And aviation, you know, you point to it, and I appreciate the fact that you pointed it out. What is it about aviation that makes it safer? right? And what we see in aviation is that we've built margin into the system so that errors can occur without consequence. That's a gift, right? And then if we capitalize on that as an opportunity to learn, we're even that much further ahead. The thing that we have to really think about, though, is this whole idea of developing those capacities. So I ran into this guy, brilliant guy. You didn't hurt him, did you, when you ran into him? Oh, oh, gosh. oh, he was much bigger than I was. <laughs> the, jo- the jokes aren't supposed to be till the end. Oh, I'm so. sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry, no, I, I, I can't help myself sometimes, though. Me either. So <laughs> this guy's name was Ruben McDaniel. Uh, he's a professor emeritus at uh, University of Texas, Austin, in the business school, McComb School of Business. And you'd think, well, what does a guy in business have to do with safety, right? And what this guy came up with was a real deep understanding of the impact of recognition of complex systems, specifically complex adaptive systems, in the creation of safer systems. And what he talked about was this. He says, what you do, essentially, if you can build on these capacities, these three things, your system will naturally improve. And he said they were sense-making, learning, and improvisation. Those are the words that he used. And so I had my first meeting with him and I stood back and I thought about that for a little bit. And I realized that every time the system delivered the unexpected in aviation, that's exactly what we did as a crew. We moved into sense-making, we started learning in the moment, and we innovated solutions. That's the improvisation piece. So sense-making, learning, and improvisation. So HOP talks about capacities. And I would say some of the key capacities are those three. The ability to improve sense-making at the point of work, learning at the point of work, and improvisation at the point of work. Now, the problem with improvisation is that you're experimenting with the system, right? Correct. And that makes people nervous. It does. It makes leadership nervous because it's no longer following a procedure. But remember, the time that you're going to do this is when you run into something that is an anomaly, something a novel situation. If it's a novel situation, it's not covered by rules, regulations, policies, and procedures. And that's the key piece, right? Is we have to give the wiggle room within the system to deal with how we can, as a group, whether it's a crew or an individual, deal with the upsets inside the system, deal with the things that are not expected, because that's a natural function of a complex system, that it will deliver the unexpected. So developing that capacity is a big part of HOP. We talk about a lot of other capacities, and these things are all nested in one another, the ability to communicate, speak truth to power. All these kinds of things are nested. So I look at HOP like a nest, right? It's the place where we can capture a bunch of different things, nurture our young if we want to, and help them to grow up, right? Lay our eggs in it. Some of those eggs will turn into birds and others will turn into mush. Those are really the things, the opportunities that we have that we've got to capitalize on. And that's kind of the way I look at HOP. I like that part about being innovative or innovation. That's not easy for everyone. 
Some people are naturally good at that. Some people aren't. I feel like that's a little harder to teach. So what would you say the key to letting people kind of figure that out? Is it just the freedom to give it a try and be able to fail or is that too scary? Oh, I think that you hit it. Really the ability to fail and to talk about it, that's important, right? Also the way we label failure, right? Are these things failures or are these experiments that failed? If we think about it as a failure, we again go back to the individual. If we think about it, think about it as an experiment that failed, now we move more toward the system, right? So we start to recognize that in a novel situation, we are in that experimentation mode. Then we have the possibility of success and we have the possibility of failure as a result of that experiment. If we fail in the experiment, then what do we do? Well, we can rebuff ourselves and admonish ourselves, or we can turn that into a learning moment and do something else, move back to sense-making, learning, and improvisation. And so this is a repetitive cycle that I noticed we were using in aviation. Sometimes our experiments would work, right? We'd put the right, right inputs in and the right outcome would result, whether that was flying in the desert and being shot at, or whether it was flying tactically over fire and dropping and missing the target with a retardant drop. Regardless of what it was, with that failure, the ability to recognize it as a mistake or a failure allowed us to then correct, right? And that correction results in a successful outcome. And that's what we have to start working toward, is that ability to do that, especially in complex environments. The hardest thing for, I think, a lot of leadership to really wrap their heads around is that they don't fully control this environment. If it's truly complex, it will deliver the unexpected. You don't have control over that. So instead, you've got to prepare for that. And it's how you prepare your people that HOP is so integral in. Barbara and I actually have a really good example of this with our own son. He's working on his solo, just kind of got through that with my dad. And they were on a takeoff last August when they were taking off in a J3 Cub. You know, you're familiar with that type of airplane. And so they're just having some fun taking off. They got probably, what, a couple hundred feet in the air, and all of a sudden the engine decided to quit. And so my dad took all his knowledge and was able to miss the power lines that were right there in the area, you know, and do that. But he was so well prepared. Nobody got hurt. Nothing. Plan was totaled. But he's able to walk away and so is our son. And being able to put that in the process of that. And that's why I'm really big on the aviation because aviation has really kind of figured it out, in my opinion, along with the nuclear facilities too. Because again, how have they done it? Through experiments, right? Uh, on that. So I definitely think what you have brought to our show today is a tremendous amount of value for our listeners. I do too. And I think basically we learn from our mistakes, right? In life. But sometimes when you talk experiments, at Experiments, Barb. Experiments. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Yes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but sometimes when you talk at these bigger levels, you know, like when we heard about this little crash, as a mom, I get panicky and stuff. And I'm like, well, we want to learn. She, yeah, she went crazy. I just said, we're fine. <laughs> we want to learn from our experiments, but sometimes it's a little tricky. It's a little scary. I do love how you talk about this. I think your approach in the way you talk about it and how you explain it, whoever's listening, whoever you teach, your students, people out there, I think you make it easy to understand, which I think then makes it easy to learn and give it a shot. Because some people, they're just going to shy away from it. And I think you present it in a way that just makes it doable. Well, to kind of finish off on that example that I just gave about our son and my dad, our son was just couldn't believe how he said, Grandpa, he just took over. He said to you, and boom, 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 boom. And it just goes, it was so cool to watch dad because he's like, he knew exactly what he needed to do. He didn't panic. He just got that. But that's part of that hop, right? Of having that confidence of doing those things. That's right. And what you see there is that you're 
father had some really good skills around sense making, learning, and improvisation. Yep, very he true. Really had the, those capacities developed. The scenario was never going to be exactly the same. So he can prepare in general for the scenario, but the specific scenario still requires that sense making, learning, and improvisation. So it's a perfect example. Really nice. And I think if you talk with almost any aviator, they probably have another perfect example. <laughs> yep, my, my dad has one or two more too. <laughs> but again, he's in there. So anyway, Ivan, we want to thank you again so much for uh, being on the show. This was really fun and education for me too. I because know. I feel like we could go on for a lot. I, I always want to learn, especially when it comes to safety yeah. and being able to make that. And I want to thank Wyatt Bradbury for uh, introducing us to be on the show together. But now we're going to go to our fun part of our uh, podcast, which is asking you the joke. So hopefully you're prepared. But before we start with that, I just want to remind our listeners that we do have online training available if you uh, want to uh, do training for your employees. Uh, again, it's Total Health and Safety Solutions on our website, www.healthandsafetynow.com, and just go to TED Ed, and you have all the online training you need with certificates and everything else like that. It's a good option for sometimes people when they don't have time to do it in person. So just another thing out there, but... Yes. Okay, am I first up with the joke? You are first okay. up. I think this one's pretty good. Sometimes they're she not. She always does. <laughs> okay, I always give myself the good ones, maybe. I don't yeah, know. that's exactly okay. it. Here we go, Ivan. How was Rome split in two? I give up. How was Rome split? With a pair of Caesars. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not the look I was going <laughs> The reaction. Well, the reaction says it all. <laughs> Or that's punishment. <laughs> oh, goodness All right, gracious. here. Hopefully mine is better. And we can judge at the end here if you want. Okay. Okay, French fries weren't originally cooked in France. Where were they cooked? Where were they cooked? In oil? They were cooked in Greece. You were right. <laughs> you were on the right track. Yes. Right track. Yeah. So, okay, nice. most important part of the show, which one was better, Barb's or Ted's? You know, there's some doing... Parts of both. I like the way you're not going to answer the question. <laughs> <I'm just laughs> you know already that I'm not. There were enduring parts of both. <laughs> I like the way you put that, enduring. We've never heard that about our jokes, enduring. No, that was very polite. Thank you. I said you have a good approach with people, so you just summed that up. Well, we thank you so much for being on, Ivan. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's a good way to do that? Uh, you can get me at Pupilidi, my last name, so P-U-P-U-L-I-D-Y at UAB.edu. Perfect. Well, we really appreciate it. And also LinkedIn too, right? Also LinkedIn. Absolutely. Yep. And you'll have to keep us updated on the book that you're working on. We'd love to hear more. Yes. Well, thank you for being on our show today and have a super safe day. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Ted Speaks with Ted Carew, owner of Total Health and Safety Solutions, providing health and safety support to businesses by customizing a safety process to fit their needs, big or small. Please connect at ted.carew at healthandsafetynow.com or visit our website, healthandsafetynow.com to share your safety stories or find out more about how we can work together to ensure your people go home safely and turn an expense into a profit center. Follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Have a super safe week. 